You'd open your Bibles to Proverbs. We're going to be in Proverbs 15 today in our chronological study. And I am a person that loves the Proverbs. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know if you understand what the Proverbs are and all that kind of stuff. I want to give you a little historical background if, if, you, if I can. So we've been trekking. If you've been reading the, the chronological Bible, okay, with, with me, I've been reading it. And if you've been reading along, who's still caught up? Okay, if you're sort of kind of, I see, I see kind of like this going on. If you're sort of like you're trekking, you're doing it, you're doing your best. It's good. You may not be on the same day or whatever, but but you're getting there. It's okay. Listen, um, there's always tomorrow, right? And I encourage you read tomorrow. Do your thing. But here's the big the big story is this. God is trying to teach us the story of redemption through Jesus Christ. All the way through the text. All the way through the Bible, we're seeing the grace of God come up. How many times did the Israelites blow it? You know? And God just continued to show His grace on that. So we see King David, and we see David do his thing, and David has the son Solomon. And then King Solomon becomes this incredibly wise, this incredibly powerful. If you've been reading, you know he's acquired wealth, and he's gained wisdom, and he's got all these things. And at some point in time, Solomon kind of puts a stop, time out. And the wisdom of God takes over in his life, and he begins to write these Proverbs to his son that are so important to him that he's got to get them all out. And the important thing for us is that we can learn from this. He hits all kinds of topics out there, some, some that we don't want to talk about, some that we skirt away from. But the truth of the matter is they're real, everyday things for us to learn from. Today, in verses 27 through 33, it seems like there's a lesson and a message on leadership from the Holy Spirit to the listener that we can all, you ready? Apply to your life and the decisions you make from this day forward can be walking in the wisdom of the Lord. Anybody want that? Anybody need that? I do. I feel like that's something that God is saying to not only me to preach, but it's something that God is saying for me to live. Okay? And by the way, I hope you understand what I just said. Because I'm not the only one in this room that preaches. We all do. We got to make sure that what we preach is what we live. And this message today will help us do that. So I want you to open your Bibles with me in Proverbs 15, 27 through 33. And I'm just going to read it. And it goes like this. Greed brings grief to the whole family. But those who hate bribes will live. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. The Lord is far from wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Good news makes for good health. If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility 
precedes honor. Let's pray together. Father God, today in this room, you have assembled people from all over. People from as far away as the the west side of Prattville, people all the way on the other side of the county and eclectic and south and north, and you've put them all in this room. God, you wrote this word through Solomon so long ago that it seems almost mind-blowing that you could take this word, Lord, and you could really apply it to this gathering of people today. But the reality is that's how awesome you are. For just a time as this, for just a day as this, just a word like this, with just a group like this, you want to speak to us today. And I pray in Jesus' name that we will have ears to hear and that we will have hearts to apply your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, folks, I just want to tell you some of this stuff. You may just be sitting there and you just may say, oh, I got that figured out. But we're going to unpack this and we're going to talk through these things. And by the way, there are seven points today. Now, for a Baptist, it might as well be 30 because you're going, hey, wait a minute. We got a time clock here, buddy. What do you mean seven points? Five is the max. Okay? I'm going to do my best. Y'all just hang on tight. Okay? But the point is this. You can leave today. This is one of the things that as a pastor I struggle with a lot. Because people will look at me. They'll ask me these questions. And I just go, it's right there. They'll say this to me. How can I like concretely see what God is doing? I don't understand God's word. I don't know the change he wants me to make. Listen. It doesn't get any more straightforward than these seven points we're going to say today. And I'm going to talk directly, okay? I don't have time to beat around the bush and all that kind of stuff. Somebody say amen, okay? Because we don't need that. We don't need any sugarcoating. We just need God's Word, right? And so that's what we're going to go for, and we're going to see what God has to say in His Word. The first point is really simple. Greed is not godly. Now, I don't know if you know, but there's this thing out there called the American dream. You might just call it in some circles the American greed. Right? Hello? I got real quiet in here, y'all. Look. That was only the first point. Like, if we we got to, you know, you got to get with me on here. America is a greedy nation. Did you know that? Like, do the research Find out how much money America spends on dog food alone and it will blow your mind how greedy we are. Okay? As compared to countries around the world. Scripture says in verse 27, Greed brings grief to the whole family, but those who hate bribes will live. The bottom line. You cannot be generous if you are greedy. The Bible clearly says that generosity is a sign that we are following Jesus. It is a a part of our life that becomes a natural part if we submit ourselves to God and we walk in the Holy Spirit, we will become generous people. The Scripture literally says that God loves a cheerful giver. 
So we're to be generous with what He gives us. That's why one reason you see me preach, this is how we should be with our finances. Y'all look, when we start becoming like this with our finances, we are in such big trouble. Now I understand. You worked hard for what you have. I just want you to know, so have I. Now some people say, don't think preachers do anything. We just you know, talk on Sunday morning and a little bit on Wednesday night, and that's it. We just goof off the rest of the time. But there's a little bit more to it, okay? And I've been doing it a long time, and I've been plowing that field, right? You've been doing what you're supposed to do, and you plow that field, and you work hard for it. But when you follow Jesus, this is critical. Remember we talked about getting saved, and we talked about that in in, talking about disciple-making? When you decided to follow Jesus, it might have been eight or seven years old, and you said that I want to invite Jesus into my heart. It might have been when you were 15, and you said, I want to follow God wherever he leads me. It might be when you were an adult, and you said, I thought I was saved, but I wasn't, and now I need to just follow Jesus, repent and believe, and do everything that, that he tells me to do. The reality for all of us, when we got saved, we said, we are now, you ready? Here goes, this is the hard truth. We are your slave. The scripture says it like this. In Acts, we are the doulos of the Most High God. The first definition of the word doulos in Greek is slave. The second is servant. That means, you ready? We are no longer ours. We are His. That means everything that we have is His. Every dollar, every piece of furniture, every article of clothing... Everything in our world is His. Because we, you ready? Bought with a price. We've submitted ourselves to Him. I've had many conversations like this, straightforward, and people say, oh, wait a minute, I'm nobody's slave. I want you to understand. Jesus said, if you're going to follow Him and be His disciple, then you have to die to self. You have to sacrifice self. You will, literally, He said, Carry your own cross. Do you understand that the cross was the way that he was going to die himself? And he was saying to you that you have to physically, spiritually, emotionally die to follow me. Greed is not godly. We have to be generous givers. We have to think in our mind, and maybe we have to practice this some days more than others. This is all his. Look, y'all, I can tell you this. That there's days where I've been driving in a big city particular. Because when you drive in a big city, you see a lot of cars. You see a lot of vehicles. You see a lot of vehicles that you might like to have. I like to go to Atlanta and see who can spot like the, the $200,000 sports car. You know, because it's a pretty awesome vehicle. I remember the first time I ever saw a Tesla. I thought that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Sounds like a golf cart. What is this? Y'all look, it's just stuff. It's okay that you don't have it. And I would encourage you this, that maybe that shouldn't be our goals. Maybe some of our goals should be to give away more than we receive. Just thought. Number two. In verse 28, it says, The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. Y'all, i got to read that again. That's, that is so straightforward. Listen to what it says. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. 
The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. Thinking before speaking is godly. Now, I'm going to assume in here that there's three or four people, only three or four, that might have said a cuss word before. Okay? Only maybe three or four. Okay? Can, can I show you something? I'm going to confess a sin that came out of this mouth. You ready? So the other day, I'm doing some woodwork. And you know how something, you know the word leverage? Like leverage can work in your favor and leverage can work against you. Did you know that? Now I'm going to show you all. This is going to be slow. Jimmy, you're going to laugh. You're just going to laugh at me because, you know, I'm the novice woodworker, right? And so leverage worked against me. And I don't know if you've ever been like punched by wood before. Like really like attacked by some wood. I, I, I was attacked. You ready? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's nice. Yeah. See that? Like it just... Like, it's like a stab. Like, I got stabbed. And y'all, are gonna, y'all listen. I don't know if you know. But at that moment, there might have been something unholy that came out. I'm just confessing. I'm just being real. Okay? It's good that y'all weren't there. You know, the preacher can't say a bad word, you know. I'm just saying it might have happened, Terry. I didn't say it did happen. Okay? Look. Truth of the matter is, we get stabbed by wood or you stomp your toe, you might say something you, you, you need to apologize to the Lord for. But this right here is clearly talking about the heart. And when you say things, and it may not even be a cuss word, it may just be the way you say them, and you are just being mean. But I want to tell you something. The scripture is clear about this, that we will give an account to God for every unwholesome word that comes out of our mouth. You ready? Quote, unquote. I didn't make that up. That's in His Word. Now you either believe His Word or you don't. Okay? And so my recommendation, watch your words. You want to be godly. You want to be the leader that God has put you in place to be. And I believe this, that God has put each one of us in place To be that leader wherever it is, whatever it is, however it is. The heart of the godly think carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. I wrote this in my notes that this is the key to true wisdom. Now think about all the other areas, all the other things that that we affect and everything. But think about the power of your words. I mean, the power of your words, intentional and unintentional, You can tear somebody down or you can lift them up, right? The bad thing about words is once they come out, you can't put them back in. Why I say that I wrote the key to wisdom is because the key to this verse is think before you speak. That means that, just going to say it this way, reacting verbally is probably not a good idea. Right? So calculate. Think about what you're going to say. The third thing is that prayers of the righteous are godly. The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous. That's in verse 29. Scripture tells us to pray without ceasing. Paul says this. He says that he wraps it around some interesting text. 
It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks to Jesus Christ, our Lord. The truth about praying without ceasing is that you and I, you ready? Get to be in a conversation with the Most High God all the time. Thank you, Lord. Like when you're asleep at night and you're woken up in the middle of the night, you don't have to just get on your knees and start praying. You can just start praying. When you're driving in the car and you start talking to the Lord, it's okay. They may think you're talking to yourself, but you know what you're doing. Pray without ceasing. You don't have to have the most eloquent prayer of the world. As a matter of fact, Scripture teaches that sometimes we just puff ourselves up with prayer. And that that's not what God's looking at. God's looking directly into your heart. You know, discernment. You know, some people can tell if you're bluffing or not. Some people have that gift. Let me just go ahead and warn you and tell you God's got that gift. Okay? He knows. God always knows. He looks right at your heart. He knows what you're thinking before you think. That's because He's God. I also think it's important for us to learn to pray like Jesus taught us. You remember our Father who art in heaven? How would be your name? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You remember that? And He goes on and talks about the protection, the guidance, forgiveness, all those things. We need to learn to, to pray in that way. We just talked about it on my Wednesday night class and we just kind of broke that passage down to see that we get to, to praise the Lord in that prayer. That we get to thank Him in that prayer and we get to just ask Him to, to not only teach us how to forgive other people like Jesus said in that prayer, but we get to say things like, guide us. Anybody needs guidance? And then also the, the last one, it says, protect us from the evil we pray this prayer and we learn how to pray like Jesus told us. It goes with anything that you want to pray. You can apply any prayer, any thought, any concern you have to the Lord's prayer, the model prayer. You can do it. If you need help with that, I'll just tell you, I'll teach you. I'll help you do it. I'll encourage you on that. Brandon can help you. Other folks can help you that know this model. I want to encourage you on that. Prayers of the righteous are godly. So let's, let's just kind of take a, take a second. And just Greed is not godly. Thinking before you speak is godly. Prayers of the righteous are godly. And then in verse 30, it says, A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Good news makes for good health. A cheerful outlook is godly. You know, a lot of times in our culture right now, um, a, lot of, a lot of people are kind of getting... Um, kind, of, kind of bad mouth, whatever, for just being overly positive. There's a phrase called, get real, right? You know that phrase? You might have said it to somebody before. But what we really need to do is think through the thing, right? We need to think the big picture, open it up some, and see what God's doing and realize how blessed you are. How grateful we should be. How incredible the gifts of God have lavished upon us. And the cheerful nature that we have to come out is not because your life is so great 
all the things are going according to your plan, but the reason you're cheerful is because God is so good. And God is so great. And again, this is one of those things, as you learn to die to self, as you learn that, that sometimes the things that you want are not necessarily the best things for your life, that you apply the things of the Lord, and it's, it's basically this. Are you a half full or a half empty person? Now listen to me, church. This is important. Because if we walk around and we're half empty all the time, it tells me that our hope factor is not real high. Does anybody have hope in here? I do. My hope is real high. Because I know that Jesus has already won. The victory is already His. And when things on earth go south, right here. What we tend to do is we get gravitated in by sin and self. And and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. By Satan. Okay? The powers and principalities of darkness. They put those things out there that try to reel us in and get our eyes off of the Lord. You know, having a cheerful outlook is godly. I didn't know I was going to mention this this morning, but it's on my heart, and I think we should. Didn't know him personally at all, but you've all heard about Pastor Harry Reeder from Briarwood in Birmingham that was speaking here in Montgomery on, I believe, Thursday or Friday morning. Thursday morning, I believe. And was driving home and never made it home. Actually, he did make it home. He made it to his heavenly home. He made it to his eternal home. He made it home home. But can you imagine the emotions for that very large church? I actually went to kindergarten in their school. Their very large church and all the people and all the ministry. And he's been there a long time and he's... He's, he's been so much to so many, and then all of abruptly his life is gone from earth. And there's sadness and there's sorrow, but yet there's joy knowing where he is. But in those kind of cases, think about it, where you've lost friends, families, loved ones, there's moments where you can get bitter in there. There's moments where you can take your eyes off and you're no longer cheerful. The joy and the hope doesn't resonate. And I'm not telling you not to mourn. As a matter of fact, we need to mourn. We need to grieve. As a matter of fact, why not right now? Let's just pray for Briarwood. Can we do that? Oh, Heavenly Father, I just lift up a sister congregation that loves you. I've been there for worship services. I've been there, obviously, in school a long time ago. But their shadow of ministry is wide. Their love for the gospel is deep. And their love for one another is very real. And their loss today is very painful. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, you will be with the Reader family. You will be with Briarwood family. And you will teach us how to mourn well and to be cheerful even in hard times through their example. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that. But we have to be cheerful, y'all. 
We have to be people of joy even in the darkest moments. Why? Twofold. We're not our own. We've already covered that. And this world. This world is looking for real hope. This world is looking for real life. You don't know this until you've been to a funeral or until you've led a funeral like I have of, of, of some students that were killed horrifically and they were lost as a goose. And you could see in that room there was literally no hope at all. You could feel it. You could cut it like a knife, they say. The tension was so real. And there was nothing of comfort, I could say. Except, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. And I can offer that. And that's what you and I, at the darkest, the deepest, darkest days, you and I have the joy of Jesus Christ and our relationship with Him to, quote-unquote, fall back on. That's where a cheerful heart comes from. If you think you're going to have it all ducks in a row all the time in your life, to be cheerful on your own, think again. You could probably name ten bad things that are going on in your life right now. But y'all, guess what? I could name one awesome thing that trumps all that. You've got to have a cheerful outlook. Verse 31, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. So, the fifth point is receiving constructive criticism is godly. Now, this is the one I just wanted to leave out. I just got to be honest. Like, God, do we really need this one? There's nothing that we love more than constructive criticism, right? I mean, it's criticism. Why do we want that? I think there's a way this is twofold. So first of all, we've got to be able to receive constructive criticism. And I'm not talking about negative criticism. I'm talking about encouraging, helpful, godly criticism, which leads to the second part. When we give the criticism, we have to do two things. You ready? Write these down. Watch what we say and how we say it. That helps every single time. It helps you as the one who's giving the criticism, and it certainly helps the one receiving the criticism. But we have to be able to receive it if we're going to grow in character. That's one of the things about making disciples. The years and years and years that I was um, being discipled, and by the way, that's never over. I still have people discipling me all the time. And the years that I've been discipling people... It's twofold. Like, there are conversations that I specifically will never forget, even written about them. And, and that is when Gary Mays looks at me and says, There is a God and you are not him. Okay? You're not going to believe this, Brandon, but when I was 15, I thought I was pretty much it. You know? Not that you would think that at 15. And I had somebody look at me and say, there's a God and you're not him. Oh, and by the way, Robert, the world does not revolve around you. I can hear those words and see exactly where that happened. In my mind's eye like it was yesterday. But I'll never forget it. 
two things. It was done in love and it was truth. Receiving constructive criticism is godly. It's hard to handle for all of us. But that's how we grow. It's important. And then verse 32 says, If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Practicing discipline is godly. Practicing discipline is godly. So we know the athletes. We know how that works. You've got to discipline. Uh, you, you've got to practice discipline to be athletic. You've got to practice discipline to learn a, a, um, a skill or ability. You have to focus and be ready for that. I, my mind was blown at a high school uh, senior day basketball game in, in Tuscaloosa. And I'll never forget this statement. That, you know, they had senior day and they had their quotes, their favorite quotes they liked, the seniors. And they come out, they introduce them, and then they say their quote. Well, this one guy's quote, don't know who the guy was, can't remember that. That wasn't what was important to me. What was important was his quote, and his quote was simple. It said, you ready? Oh, this is so good. Discipline yourself before someone else does. Discipline yourself before someone else does. There are areas of your life and my life where we've got to practice discipline. And if we don't, there will be a point where we are disciplined. There will be a point where someone else disciplines us for us. So self-discipline is important. I was talking this morning to Truman about the fruits of the Spirit, and we were talking about self-control. You know, I've seen people pray for self-control. And I thought to myself, now that's interesting. Isn't it just... Self-control? Like, isn't it just that you and I just control ourselves? Because I don't know how praying for self-control is going to give you self-control. I mean, it might give you some strength. It might give you some ability and that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, guess what you just got to do? Control yourself. You've got to discipline yourself. The scripture right here says this. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. Discipline is godly. And then finally in verse 33. The fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility precedes honor. Humility is godly. Now here's the thing about humility you got to be careful with. You can't walk into a room and go, I just want you all to know that I am extremely humble. It doesn't come across, does it? It doesn't work. Just want you to know that I'm feeling very humble today. Um, you know, I'd love to serve you in any way that I can. It just, it just doesn't come across as genuine, does it? Humility is kind of that way. We have to be careful. Because humility is not something that you get, you ready, from yourself. Humility is something that you get from God. There's a guy that, he's a young pastor. He was a youth and college minister up in the Florence area, up in uh, where UNA is and stuff. And I've been getting to know him over the last three or four years. And Pam met him when we were doing the pastor's conference. And she goes, that guy is so humble. You know? And when you have met someone that practices and lives humility, you know it. Like, they can't, you can't hide the humility of God in, in your life. 
So what you have to do is this. And I can't do this for you. No one can but you. You have to spend more time with God. Like you have to carve out more time with God. You might have to turn off the music or off the podcast or off the talk show in the car. You might have to just carve out some time in the morning or in the, in the nighttime. Maybe even, maybe even three or four minutes every hour at your job. However you can do it. And just open God's word. And practice this humility. There's also a really neat promise in Scripture about humility. Listen to this. This is in James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. The guy that I was talking about, the, the pastor now, when I was doing the work with the pastor's conference, one of the one of the responsibilities for the president that year is to basically nominate and, and, and get the president that will be in four years. And so they work their way up, vice president and such like that. And as I was thinking who, you know, make my list, do my prayer times, all that kind of stuff. This person, Chad, rose to the top of the list because of that one factor. I know he's a great preacher. I know he loves people. I know he wants to make disciples. But his humility, and he would be embarrassed by me saying this, but his humility is what rose to that list because I know that he'll be able to encourage and equip and love on these pastors from the state of Alabama. Here's the thing. When you look at these things, and I'm just going to take just a moment, greed is not godly. Thinking before you're speaking is godly. Prayers of a righteous are godly. Having a cheerful outlook is godly. Receiving constructive criticism is godly. Practicing discipline is godly. And you living in humility is godly. So these are the kinds of things that we want to apply to our life so that we can be the leader that Solomon is encouraging his son. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, today... We are so thankful for the opportunity that we get to come together, to gather together. We know that the teaching of your word is critical and understanding that we have the opportunity to be leaders and servants and disciples of yours. Sometimes it's mind-blowing, but certainly it's humbling. Lord, you're so good. Your goodness never ends. And today you've again reminded us that you want us to join you on your mission. That you've given us some practical tools to do that every single day. And we just love you so much and we're so thankful for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.